When I was probably 14 or 15, I had a paper route. And I remember the years that I had the paper route, twice I had somebody move into my route and I'd be delivering the paper and I would see the delivery truck and they're you know, unloading all their furniture and stuff. And what I would do is make a handwritten note that said, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. Enjoy this paper. And it would just, I would deliver it free for a week. Now that cost me money. But I did that twice, and at the end of the week, I would knock on the door, introduce myself, which was really hard at the time because, again, I'm kind of shy when I'm still shy. And uh, I would say, hey, did you enjoy your paper for this week, and would you like to continue because it's not going to be free anymore? And as you might imagine, being a stupid, I don't know, 14, 15-year-old, they went, hey, we didn't read it because we were unpacking. But one of those did say, yes, we would like the paper. Thank you so much. And so 50%, uh, you know, success rate isn't too shabby. And over the years, the, the guy before me did okay with the route, but I did little things like, I don't know, put the paper in the door if it was raining out so it wouldn't get wet. And at Christmas time, my bonus that people would give me at Christmas was huge, especially for a 14 or 15 year old kid. And today we're going to talk with Jack from the Darknet Diaries. He also has Lime.link, which is a blog about podcasting. And you're going to hear how this guy hustled. He did the work. It didn't happen overnight. And he's getting huge amounts of downloads. The School of Podcasting with Dave Jackson. Podcasting Sense 2005. I am your award-winning Hall of Fame podcast coach, Dave Jackson, thanking you so much for tuning in. If you're new to the show, this is where we help you plan, launch, and grow your podcast. If you missed last week's episode, we did a whole episode on surveys. Today, wait till you hear what we're going to talk about. And next week, we're going to talk about Clubhouse If you go out to schoolofpodcasting.com slash subscribe, you can subscribe for free and never miss an episode. Later on in the show, we'll be checking in with the Dog Podcast Network as they get ready to launch a new show. And right now, I want to talk about Jack from the Darknet Diaries. This is a guy that is on the show. Why? Because of word of mouth. In the last two weeks, I've had three people say the phrase dark net diaries to me and the last one was scott from the what was that like podcast and scott said oh you've got to have that guy on the show and what's great about jack is he has a great blog if you go to lime as an l-i-m-e lime.link he has all these blog posts about podcasts And in fact, you'll hear about one today where he did a deep dive into Patreon and he did a deep dive into the whole iTunes charts. And the other reason I brought him on is I wanted to find out how are you doing that? Because wait till you hear about the number of downloads he gets per episode. Jack, thanks for coming on the show. It's crazy being here because I used to look to you as my my somebody to learn from and 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 stuff. And so here I am giving back. I think it's it's fantastic to uh, feel like I've made it in that sense. You know. Well, that's the cool thing about it is you have a great blog with all sorts of tips for podcasters, and you're very transparent. I've listened to about I think five or six interviews that you've done with other people, and you're like, "Nope, this is what I get." And that, in fact, let's just start there. How many downloads per episode are you currently getting? Oh, I think about three hundred thousand per episode. So that's like, uh, you know, after about thirty to forty-five days, there are about three hundred thousand now. 
And what goes through your brain when those words come out of your mouth? <laughs> yeah, it's insane because, uh, as you know, those numbers are, you know, put me in the top 1% of the 1% of, for, you know, most popular podcasts, which is crazy. You know, if I'm in the top 1,000 podcasts in the world, wow, that's, that's just wild. So, yeah, it feels like I've made it. I feel, yeah, I feel like a mini celebrity in many senses. And, and it, I, I feel great because, you know, I started, you know, it being, I was in tech since the 90s, right? So with computers and internet and stuff. And so how did I miss the dot-com bubble, right? I should have made something then. <laughs> and how did I miss the Bitcoin boom? I should have made something then, but at least I got in the podcast wave and I'm here and I'm making a, I'm making a name for myself online. Yeah, you, you started back in September of 2017. The description of the Darkneck Diaries, which is darkneckdiaries.com, if you want to check it out. Explore true stories of the dark side of the internet with the host, Jack Resider, as he takes you on a journey through the chilling world of hacking, data breaches, and cybercrime. For me, it's This American Life. It's almost like a Mr. Robot. I don't know if that's a good reference. I don't know if yeah. enough people enough people watched uh, that show or not but it's it's the underbelly in a storytelling way and uh, i want to talk a little bit about your launch from the idea of hey i think i want to start a podcast because i can't find one that i want to listen to to the actual time you actually had a, a an episode ready to go yeah. how long was that time that was about a year uh, <laughs> because I, I I pitched the idea to like friends and family and they're like, yeah, I don't know. And I even said, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I can make that. And so, you know, then it kind of just went under the rug. And then I, I looked at it again and I and I said, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Like, where is that show? Because I was really into podcasts and I was like, where is that show that's just like true crime, but for for, for hacker stories? I love hacking stories, cyber crime and that kind of stuff. But there just wasn't one out there. At least I couldn't find it. And so I was like, ah. I love podcasts so much. I just want to listen to this. And so I looked into it. Uh, that book I, I see on the shelf behind you out on the wire is what I what I got first, which my my first Google search was actually how does Radiolab make their podcast? And I didn't get anywhere because they didn't really have much on there. But then I, yeah. I landed on out on the wire. And that is a book which is made by the folks of Radiolab, This American Life, 99% Invisible. And they explain how, you know, you do storytelling in the audio format. And oh, my gosh, that just gave me the blueprint for everything. It was like, here is the formula. I mean, there's a formula in the book. This is a story about X, but Y happens instead. Plug it in. And so, you know, you follow the formula. And at first, that was the scaffolding that just got me going. So uh, once I got into that book, it then took me about another three months just to get the first episode ready. And once I got that first episode, I showed it to friends and family first. There was no quite launch. I was just like, what do you think? You know, people who I know listen to podcasts. The 10 people I sent it to, I got about five responses. Still, out of your closest friends and family still won't listen to something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to go back because talk about the questions that you sent them. I thought this was brilliant. So I, if you send somebody like a, a vague question, what do you think? You're going to get a vague answer. It's great, right? Every time, every time. So I sent them what I like is the uh, net promoter score question, which is, how likely on a scale from one to 10, how likely are you to tell someone else to listen to this podcast? If it's nine or 10, that means it's very likely it's going to happen. They will tell someone. If it's uh, seven or eight, they're just being nice. They don't, they're not yes or no on that. They're just, oh yeah, it's eight. Sure. Yeah, of course. But if it's six or below, they're not going to tell someone else. And this is a good rating of how good was the show for this person, right? If they're, if they're going to rush out and show it to someone, then you've got something right? You've got something that you know is going to spread and goes places and stuff like that. But if it's not hitting that 
uh, nine or 10 mark, you know, you still need to work on it. So that was the first question I asked him. Didn't you ask something like, how far did you listen or something like that? Yeah, that was the next question is, did you listen to the whole thing? If not, at what minute did you turn it off? Like, I want to know this because if there was a part that was lulling or boring or something like that, what was going on there? And, you know, that can help you say, can I just edit that part out? <laughs> or can I add something in there? Like some, you know, special thing to to make it more lively? Because in my show, I, I it's very highly edited and produced and stuff like that. So I, I have that, uh, you know, ability to go back and say, okay, I can fix that part as opposed to just a conversation. What was going through your brain to say, I need to get a survey going here? Well, I mean, I think it's it's better to get that before you launch or before it goes live. If you can fix your mistakes first, that's much better than some you know stranger on the internet saying, this sucks and I, <laughs> I can't even listen to one minute of this. Like, I'd rather fix that before I publish and then say, okay, now try it, now try it or something, right? Oh, wow, this is actually pretty good. So it's just one of those things that it's like, I, I am humble about it and I don't care if you tell me that my baby's dirty or ugly, I'll, <laughs> I'm happy to like, you know, make it prettier in some way, like help me get it better, right? So we're all in this together. We want to see me succeed. That's my kind of strategy at this. It's not like uh, I, I want you to help me fail. I want you to help me succeed. It's all about the perspective you look at it. And I think an, another question I asked was something like, what was a memorable thing you took away from this, right? So after you mm -hmm. listen to the episode, what was something you remember about it? Because I thought that was interesting because um, a lot of the responses I got were not actually accurate. Like, you know, they were, they were misquoting like the country that I was talking about or the, or the person's name or something. I was like, that's interesting. The most memorable thing you still didn't get correct, <laughs> but still you remember that part in, in just the, like the term, uh, like what happened. So uh, it's interesting. Uh, it's just interesting to get some early feedback. We always remember the negative stuff. Do you remember any of the negative stuff from that very first survey? Yeah, I remember some people telling me the pacing was too slow. Uh, the edits weren't good enough. Like it was just, a, you know, kind of loose in the editing. People were like, I, I got I got lost in this moment. I don't quite understand what you were talking about anymore. Or people, other people wanted more info. They're like, well, how did the police capture that hacker? You know, do you have any info on that? So it was interesting to hear some of that feedback. Do you still do that? Do you occasionally send out a, hey, what do you think about this episode before you publish it? Yes, in a way that I have somebody, I have a kind of a, a listener set that I have listened to um, before I publish. And I say, okay, you know, I know my English is bad in this. Can you help me fix it? Or I, I, I'm talking about a sensitive topic here. Can you make sure I'm not going to offend anyone? And so I'll have some listeners kind of preview it um, beforehand and then give me some info. How do you go about finding the stories? Because they are amazing stories. I just got done listening to the Xbox, both uh, one and two. It's a two-parter. And that's just, it's just one of those where you're like, and then this happened. And you're like, what? And then this happened. And you're like, no, it just keeps going on. How long does it take you to to find a story? And then how long does it take it to turn it into an episode? So I, I have a few ways to find stories. You know, one, number one, this was my career for a while was doing uh, information security. So I'm kind of aware of what stories there are out there and the big ones, and I can go back and revisit them. So that's one thing, you know, I go to conferences and stuff and I hear people talk about their stories. And I'm like, well, if you talked about that on stage, I can probably get them on my show and talk about it on my show. Right. So attending a lot of conferences really helps find stories. And then, um, you know, I'm reading the news and stuff. But one of the things that I think is a cool trick is I've got like uh, Google alerts that looks for things like hacker sentenced or hacker arrested. 
And if a story shows up where a hacker is sentenced, well, now I've got the whole story, right? So now I have what they hacked into, how they did it, how the police caught them, what the sentence was at the end, right? So the hacker goes to prison for 12 years. All right, well, that's a full story now, right? So I may not have caught that news to begin with when they first did their thing, but now I've got the whole story right there because you got court transcripts and stuff. So that's a great way to find stories. But on that particular one, which Xbox Underground, and then this has actually happened four times now, a, a person has reached out to me and said, I have a story that I want to share. And this particular uh, person, Sanad, in that story, uh, just got out of prison and said, I don't know who you are, Jack, but I've been told to contact you to tell my story. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's great. What's your story? And he sent me his indictment. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. That's kind of the lucky, lucky part of actually, after you get like an audience, you start getting people who know who you are. And that's the guy to go to, to tell their story. Well, I know you had a blog post about this, about how there there's a certain level that you get to when your podcast starts to go a little bit on autopilot. I, I think you even had a number where it's like you, you, you start off and it's so hard, you have no listeners, and then it finally gets going. But do you remember kind of where I'm headed with that? So my question when I was starting out is... Um... How do you gain critical mass in podcasting so that you have like the the push of your audience? The audience is spreading the show for you and you don't have to do that marketing. And it's very important to to work on getting to that stage so that you can then get that like audience push to help you market it, right? And a lot of people just think they put the podcast out and the audience is going to do that from day one and, and there's just no audience to do that. So you really have to work up to, you know, build your audience yourself to begin with. Now, I, I was feeling that the audience was starting to spread the show around 150 listeners when I start, first started. I was meeting people who I didn't know who were listeners of the show. And I was like, okay, so someone had told this person, which means that it's starting to spread just all by itself. This is great. So I didn't tell them to listen. This was now outside my friends and family circle. And so that was around 150 people I, I was down, getting downloads for. But once it got to like 1,500 and then it really started to pick up some more. So not in a great way. It's kind of like it's kind of like interest in the bank. So you have $150 interest, you know, in the bank and it's earning interest. It's going to take you a long time to get anywhere. But now you've got $1,000 in the bank, you know, $1,500. It's going to gain interest faster. So it's just one of those things that you start feeling that breeze behind you going up the hill and helps you. And of course, as you get these numbers getting bigger and stuff, then you get more help from the audience. So yeah, I mean, my my big thing is, if you can make the audience love the show so that they have to go tell someone else about it, then they're going to become marketers for your show and your show's going to spread. And so I'm always trying to find ways to just make the show better and better and better for my existing audience because I know my existing audience is my best marketing tool. Absolutely. I, I know you launched that an event, I think is when you did your official like, hey, I have a podcast. You'd uh, you'd got that great feedback on your first episode. You recorded a couple more. And as you were walking into the conference, if I understand this right, you had people that already came up to you and said, hey, are you the guy from that podcast? Like, how did they find out about it? So uh, when I when I first started, I had some what I call um, superpowers when I first started, right? So my superpowers were I had a blog and the blog was getting like 20,000 downloads, uh, you know, 20,000 visitors a month. So I had this blog and from the blog, I had a Twitter account with about 2,000 followers on Twitter. So this was my superpower. I could start a show by first putting it on my blog, by first putting it on my Twitter. And so I think that's where people had first learned about it was, 
you know, there's a gi- there's two giant banners on my blog. And so, you know, if 30,000 people come in a month, they're going to see two giant banners. Uh, that's going to have some significant reach. And so I get about seven clicks a day from my blog to go to my podcast, right? So that's nice. Seven new people every day are going to see my show. And then there's also uh, Twitter, which, you know, things can spread. So I, I didn't start at zero with Twitter. I started with 2,000 followers on Twitter. That was a great help to just get me up that first hill uh, to get going. And yes, I, when I launched, I specifically scheduled it a couple of days before I was giving a speech at a conference. And so when I got on stage, I was able to promote it there as well, as well as pass out stickers at the conference and try to try to start with a splash as well. I got I to gotta jump in there. When you say I passed out some stickers, there's a story in there somewhere where you said you passed out 10,000 stickers at, a, at a, one of the interviews I listened to. So that was a small conference, but then there was a bigger conference later on in the year and that one had 30,000 attendees. And so I brought, I think I brought 3,000 stickers to that one and they all went in the first day. And so the next year when I went to that same conference, 30,000 attendees again, I brought 10,000 stickers and they all went in the weekend that the conference was. I was just putting like 20 down on every single table I ever saw at the whole conference. And like five minutes later, they were all gone. And it, people weren't just shoving them in the trash. They were grabbing them and saying, this looks interesting. So Hacker conferences, people love stickers, and it's just one of those things that really works out well. Yeah, because when I heard that, I was like, here is a man that is doing the work. You don't <laughs> just, I was like, holy cow. Well, and speaking of that, I know you, in one of your interviews, you mentioned how you reached out to a hundred different like media outlets. Uh, tell us a little bit about that story. I realized if I could get in front of other people's blogs or Twitter accounts or anybody who has an audience then I think I can get, you know, some more ears on my show. So who has an audience? Those are bloggers, YouTubers, podcasters, journalists, newsletter writers, book authors, you know, anyone, any, any big uh, Twitter account. These, all, these people have an audience. So I was trying to find the people who would be interested in my show or have the, you know, would have a shared audience as me because they're writing to the same kind of people, people who are like tech and hacking stories and stuff. And so I tried to, you know, at least be friendly with them or pitch them my show or something and say, I, I think you'd like this. And so, yeah, I, I created a list of 100 email addresses of, of those people, right? People with audiences and said, here's a show that just came out. You might be interested in it. Maybe you could share it with your audience. And that was it. It was pretty simple. And so out of the 100, I had one person that wrote, said, don't ever email me again. But that was the only awkward bit. Everyone else just goes quiet except for two people. So the first one to pick it up was a uh, journalist from The Guardian who didn't even write back. They just published it in, in The Guardian, said, this is, a, this is an interesting podcast that you might be interested in. It was, very, it was very brief. It was like one paragraph. But it was The Guardian, right? It was a major news outlet. And from there, I was just like, it gives you that fuel. It gives you that fire inside. Like, yes, something's working. Another big celebrity, um, like a Twitter celebrity, had like 2 million followers, tweeted it. He was like, this is amazing. You need to start with episode one of this and, and go. And so I was like, okay, so two out of the 100 worked, which seems like a low number. But with the, you know, the ears that you can get from this could really make something. And And I don't think I got that many. However, I could now use that as kind of like a testimonial on my website. And so on the front page of my website, it says, the Guardian has written about this show, which makes it easier for m- later publications to write about it too, right? So later on, I was in the New York Times and Forbes and stuff like that. And they're probably looking at my website like, has anyone else written about this? And they see all these other publications have written about it, right? So once you get one, it's easier for a second one because they're not taking that leap. They're not trying to figure out, is this guy 
a real mean guy or is he a good guy? Like, who is this podcaster, right? No, okay, so six other, po- you know, journalists have written about it. I think this is a safe bet that we can publish about this, right? So there's this social proofing as well that goes into once you get a couple big wins like that, you can use it to your advantage. And I want to kind of dig in here a little bit because you're like, I made a list of 100 people. Mm-hmm. How did you go about getting those 100 people? Yeah, it took like three weeks. <laughs> I wanted a very good list. I, I didn't want a bad one. So, you know, I'm looking at I'm looking at places that, uh, you know, tech tech journalists, right? So Wired, Vice, Motherboard, places like that. I know that I, I watch news, I read news. And I'm like, okay, there's these journalists that always write about this. So what's their email address? How do you contact them? And nice, the nice thing is the journalists always have their email address posted somewhere or some kind of contact info because they want to scoop. And um, this isn't quite a scoop, but it might be interesting to them if they have a slow news day. So there's that. Um, if I couldn't contact anyone, I would just tweet them on Twitter, like, hey, check this out. And yeah, I would just, uh, you know, I, like I said, I've been in this space for a while. So I kind of know all the big heads and names and faces. And I just said, oh, yeah. And who else works with that person? And then who else works with that person? So, yeah, it was just a matter of um, finding good content out there that I, I know, you know, those people can share things. Um, a, a couple of times I even went to um, the pod news uh, guy, James Cridlin, and I was like, hey, uh, I've got this podcast that I would really love if you could put in your newsletter or something, you know, something basic like that. And he sure enough did. So I was, that was another big, that was actually another thing that out of those uh, our initial hundred is, is I got into pod news too. Yeah. James is a good guy. How long had you been blogging at that point? Yeah. So before I started my podcast, I was blogging for about eight years. Okay. That was about uh, IT security, technical stuff. It was, you know, problems that I'd faced that didn't, Google didn't have the answer for. So I'm going off the map and I'm like, all right, so somebody else is going to have to Google this one day. I'll probably, I want to help them out. So, yeah. And I think that helped as far as t- talking about technical topics in like a public way, right? So I'm not coming onto the public stage for the first time ever and nervous about what I'm going to say. No, I've been blogging for eight years and I've learned how to use this language to teach and explain and that kind of thing. And I think that practice of just getting words on paper and getting it out there and then having that critique because people would come back and say, this sucks. You're, you're talking about the wrong stuff here. And I'm like, okay, well, help me out. Get it better. Right? Let's help me get it better. And so I was able to improve over those eight years. And that was another kind of secret weapon is, okay, I've been talking about this IT stuff for so long. Now I just need to do it verbally. And it wasn't really that big of a reach. I think your secret weapon there is your attitude, (laughs) which is, okay, how do I make this better? Not, what do you mean? Don't you know who I am? (laughs) I know. (laughs) Well, the thing is, when you're trying to troubleshoot a technical issue, you want the best answer. You don't want somebody who's giving you the wrong answer. So if I came up with the wrong answer and somebody has a better answer, well, next time I face that problem, I want to know what the better answer is, right? So even just for my own self, I want to know how to solve this better next time I hit this problem. Yeah, so you've you've got a great Twitter following, you've got a blog, you're going to conferences. What other ways are you kind of marketing your show? You know, at first I was trying to just get all over Twitter. So it wasn't just having that Twitter, but it was like, let's, let's go crazy on Twitter. So I'm trying to find, you know, two posts a day. I'm trying to be funny on there, inspirational, showing some news as well as talking about my podcast. So it wasn't always just straight up marketing the podcast. It was, let's have a, a, a Twitter account that people are going to get value from on every tweet, right? So they want to follow me. And I always thought that it was easier to convert Twitter followers to podcast listeners instead of, first getting a podcast listener and then making them a Twitter follower. I always wanted the opposite. So I I would try to build that Twitter to be bigger and bigger and bigger. 
and then convert them to listeners. And that was kind of my early strategy. And if I have this right, you actually were able to monetize your show within like the first six months. It's it's tricky. So I, at first I played with it. And what was your thing? What didn't you say at some point? I'll I'll sponsor every podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I, any podcast I, in the world, I'll sponsor it. Right. And what was yeah. your thing there? Right. It was it was affiliates. Yeah, basically, it was like, hey, here's I have an affiliate program. You know, refer people to me, yeah. and if they sign up, you get a commission for that because you have podcast listeners, and a lot of people are kind of like you. They're like, hey, this is a cool podcast. I think I could do one of these, uh-huh. you know, so. Yeah, so uh, so that was my trick at the beginning was I was just, just fooling around with affiliates. Uh, every VPN provider in the world has an affiliate program. So I was like, which is the best VPN at the time? And I picked one and t- took on their affiliate program and started, you know, doing affiliate ads at the end. And so I had like two or three of those and they were they were performing. So it wasn't it was, you know, ramen you know, money. It wasn't, it wasn't enough to quit my job, but it was, it was the early days of like learning how to put an ad in and practicing that and learning how to like convert listeners to, you know, buyers and stuff. So it was, I think that, that takes practice. And so that's kind of what I was doing in the first uh, year or so. I didn't quite go fully monetized until I had 30,000 downloads per episode. Got it. And I know you now do this full time. How many years did it take before? Because you were security. I, I believe you you were described as a security engineer. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? Yeah, an IT security engineer. And so I was doing doing this when I was still an engineer. But about six months into it, I quit the job. I was burnt out at work, so it wasn't that I wanted to switch to a full time podcast. But I but I had this right as in my pocket. So when I quit, I was like, maybe I can make this podcast become a thing. And so I spent three months, I just gave myself like a three month window of, can I take this and make some money out of it? Can this become a thing? And so that's why, and that's three months, I really tried hard to get to like 20,000, 30,000 downloads per episode so that I could actually monetize it in an effective way to, to pay the rent. And when you say I was trying to grow the numbers, what were you doing? Well, at that point, I was like, okay, let's get on Instagram now. Let's get on Facebook now. Let's get on LinkedIn now and, and you know, get all over social media and, and really try to set it on fire, right? So I want to get people talking about my show without me having to start the conversation. And so what can I do to drum up that kind of thing? And I wasn't asking listeners to rate and review me on Apple Podcasts. I was asking people to tell your other friends to listen to this show. Call Text somebody right now, hey, I just listened to this podcast. I think you would really like it. And that was my call to action at the end of some episodes. How do you grow your audience? You tell your audience to tell a friend. And you don't want to just like ramble it off like, oh, if you like the show, tell a friend and then goodbye. You know, I I would actually like take a couple minutes. Like, look, this is how important it is to me. Don't leave a rating. Don't leave a review to get one other person to listen to this show. Just I'm begging you, just one other person. (laughs) So I, I would, you know, do it sincerely. What was the time frame then when you actually were able to, you quit for three months, but did you, what, what was that? Two years, three years? Uh, that was about a year, a year. So it was like nine months in working and, and then, you know, three months off. So it was about a year before I finally got to that 30,000 download mark and then really went full on monetizing with, you know, paid sponsors and stuff. 
Yeah. And is that now, has that replaced? Because I'm thinking you weren't making minimum wage being a security engineer. Is that now replaced that income? Yeah, it has. So I've I've gotten back to where I was as a security engineer and making just as much. One of the things I love about your story is I have people all the time like, should I start a Patreon? Should I start a Patreon? How did you know it was time to start a Patreon? After five people asked me, where's your Patreon? I was like, fine, I'll make one, right? So <laughs> it was it was really just a, a matter of, and it wasn't just that. It was people would would come to me at the conferences that I'd go to and say, I have money. Do you have a way that I can donate to you? Because I, your, your show is so valuable to me. I want to donate to it. And I'm like, I don't have a way to donate to it. And it felt really weird to put your hand out and say, hey, give me some money for this. <laughs> like, it just feels weird at first. And so after so many people just were like, how do I give you money? Because I appreciate you. And I was like, all right, I better set something up. And Patreon seemed to be the, uh, the simple way to do that. So how did you get over that weird feeling? I mean, <laughs> or do you, or have you? <laughs> no, I, I have. And I guess it's just one of those things that there, it's like a new ethic. I like, I, I reframed it in my head to be like, if you want to support independent creators, the best way is to give to them directly and not to like support them through ads and stuff. So, I mean, you can, ads are fine, but I'm just saying that is a direct way of helping someone out. And I, and that's why I think it, it's okay now. Like you're, you're helping this independent creator by giving them directly instead of in a roundabout way. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just frame it like that. And I think it's, I think it's not so weird. I know Adam Curry talks about value for value. When I was a teacher, I would go into a classroom for my company and I would train whatever, 30 people on Microsoft Excel and, you know, my company would get paid for that. And because I delivered value to the students, they would pay me some of that. And you just have to get kind of mind around yourself that like, wow, I deliver something of value. And you've already known that you had people tell you, no, this is good. I would change this and that. So you did a little bit of a deep dive into Patreon. Can you kind of share some of the things you found? Yeah. So, you know, as I was getting more into Patreon, I was like, why are some of these shows, like some shows are making like a hundred thousand dollars a month. And I'm like, what are, what are like the similarities of some of the top podcasts on Patreon? So there's this website called Graftrion, which takes all the data um, from Patreon and puts it into a, um, a way for you to kind of look at all the different shows. So you can look at the top 50 money generating podcasts on Patreon, which is a nice way to kind of, you know, judge the top ones. And so like I went through all of them to try to figure out what's going on. And I, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, but like one of the, I can tell you right now, I just pulled it up. Chapo Trap House has 37,000 patrons making $168,000 a month. And I think last podcast on the left and true crime junkies and stuff, they're all doing around the same. So it's really crazy how much people can make there. Yeah. So I was like, okay, what are these people doing that are winning? So the first thing I realized, I went through every one of their Patreons and I saw every one of them are giving bonus episodes. So this is, you know, your audience likes your show so much that they want more of it. Give it to them on Patreon, right? That's, I'm of the school of, I want to always hold back and want get my audience to want more as opposed to just, let's just do a stream of consciousness and throw it out on the mic and and podcast every day and until people are just sick of me or something. I don't know. Some people podcast every day. And I'm like, yeah, I, I want to do the opposite. I want to hold back so that you want more and more and more. So if you want more, come to Patreon, right? So that was kind of the first thing I thought I saw that all the top Patreons were doing was that was their, that was the only thing that was in similar was, you know, the same that they were doing for perks. 
they had other random perks, but nobody had the same as just everyone was doing bonus content. So that was the only one that kind of stayed the same on all of them. Uh, the other thing is I think they all were there for uh, like 100 days. Nobody was like a new Patreon person that was just killing it on Patreon. Everyone was there for like uh, almost a year, right? It was just a long time that they were there. So it just takes time to get, you know, go in on Patreon and, and a number of episodes, right? I think they all had at least 40 episodes or something too. So it wasn't just like, oh, okay, I've got a podcast and I'm 20 episodes in. Why isn't Patreon performing? Nobody's Patreon is performing at 20 episodes, right? It just takes time. It takes a year of being on Patreon before you can do it, before you can feel really feel like something's building up on there. CastBox is an app that only has a, a small percentage of, of listeners, but because they do show how many, I think they show how many downloads and how many subscribers people have, yeah. you are able to do some math with that. This is something I thought was interesting was if you, you CastBox has what, like 1% of the market audience, but they show how many listeners are on a podcast and how many downloads that podcast has, which is, which is rare in the podcast world to see people actually showing stats. So I love CastBox for this. And if you take how many listeners and divide it by how many subscribers, I'm sorry, if you take how many downloads and divide it by how many listeners are on that podcast, then you get, in my opinion, how many average number of episodes each listener listens to before stopping. And that number is interesting to me because um, if you're listening to one episode and then leaving a podcast, that podcast isn't so sticky. It's not so addicting. So you that podcast may not be so good. But if you have somebody who listens to 10 or 20 or 30 episodes, like if the average listener of a podcast listens to 30 episodes before they're finally done with it, then there's something about that podcast. It's sticky. It's keeping the listener there. And there's all this kind of stuff. So this was a metric that I was trying to play with when I was looking at, at, at Patreon to see who's who's got sticky audiences, right? And yeah. And so I was seeing that there was people with a high number there. So I think the number was seven that I liked, which was if you can have somebody listen to seven episodes before leaving, that's pretty darn good. If they're listening to one or not even a whole episode and leaving, that's pretty darn bad. <laughs> the struggle is getting somebody to listen to a whole episode. But then it's an also struggle to get them to listen to a second episode of yours. But if you can get them past that, then you know, see how far you can get it. So I'm always looking for ways to keep my listeners listening to more and more episodes because then... They're sticking around longer. They're feeling their this is a value add to their life. They like it, you know, and that's that's what I'm going for is I want that longer average listener time that people listen to episodes. Well, and the great thing is your content is evergreen. And I know I've listened to probably four or five episodes now and I am ready to go back for more. And it's, you have great titles. That's another one I preach all the time. Great titles suck people in like, wait, what? I want to hear well, that. Hold on a second, Dave. I thought, I thought you would not like my titles because let's talk about my titles for a second. Yeah. If I pull them up here, some of them, I will say, <laughs> hmm, um, so, let me, let me go here. So my titles, I typically have like one word titles like Finn or <laughs> not pet ya or something and it's like obscure you don't know what it means you're just like there's no way this this makes sense to me at all i look at the title there's nothing that i connect to on this title and yet you still hit play when we talk about consistency you are the epitome of consistency of delivering value with every episode i have yet to hit a dud 
So that's part of it that I would just like, well, I haven't had a bad one, but like one here is called Nerdcore. And as I look at it in Overcast, it says Nerdcore music is music for nerds in this episode. We hear uh, from some other musicians. And so I kind of just with that, that's all it shows Mm -hmm. that I'm like, okay, this is about music. And I think that's part of it is just, yeah, because when I look at Miko, uh, poker is a competitive game, unlike other casino games, poker's played. So I think part of it is a word of mouth is what got me mm-hmm. is what you, got you here. And I've yet to hit a dud, but you, now, now that I look at these human hacker, okay, good. The big freaky clown. I mean, there's two <laughs> words that you just right there. You're like, all right. I, so you, you have a lot of, I wonder what that's about. Yeah. I think that's what's pulling me in. Not the fact that like, Ooh, this is cool. You know, wormer. Yeah. Worm. What worm? <laughs> what? So you have a lot of the like, wait, what kind of thing going on here? Uh, Cause other ones are just Jordan. Oh, which I know that guy. There you go. Yeah. So, so I think my strategy from the beginning, I, well, maybe not from the beginning. So the first few episodes I was trying to be clever and it just wasn't working. It was too hard to come up with a clever episode. So, so right. there's two schools of thought I have now is one, I don't want to be clever. I just want one word to, to what's the one word that summarizes this whole darn episode. And number two, I want to be as anti-clickbait as possible. And not because podcast, Apple Podcasts sometimes throws out shows that are very clickbaity with, you know, they're putting a lot of right. keywords in there, but because <laughs> I think we're just anti-clickbait on a lot of things, you know, BuzzFeed and stuff just loads up like all these things in their episode, in their, you know, po- post titles that I wanted to do the opposite. I wanted it to feel more, you know, long, have better longevity instead of, this is the hacker, like meet the world's betaest hacker starring this, 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 and this. And don't forget, we have all these other people involved. And in, like, I, that's a very long title that I just think is just clickbaity. It's full of all these things. However, I think it hurts me in the fact that when people are trying to search for a nation state hacker, NSA hacker, I don't have that in my title, right? So they won't find my show. I have Wormer in the title or something else, right? So <laughs> it doesn't quite land as far as SEO goes. But in, then to balance that out, I think the SEO in podcast land kind of sucks. And there, <laughs> yes, it does. It, it's hard <laughs> to find anything, even if you put all the stuff in the title. So that's kind of my school of thought is just go anti-clickbait and just be abs- like, like you said, uh, curious. Yeah. The other thing I, I only see one episode that starts with the sentence in this episode. Uh, and that's whistleblower. All their other one, it's a, like the zero day initiative runs a hacker contest called whatever. Pwn own. Yeah. The other one, this is the story of a dark place. Marketplace vendor will name V. What do you do when you find yourself the target of a massive hacking campaign? So all of these are like, I'm jumping right into the story. There's only one that says in this episode, we hear a story from a social engineer whose job it was to get people to, and that's the whistleblower <laughs> episode. So all of them are like, it, again, you're, you're really like, Hmm, I want to know more about that. You've given me a little bit and I want to know more. So it's, it's getting me to click. And like I say, the biggest thing that's getting me to click is every episode I've heard. I was like, okay, number one, I, I'm so glad I'm using a password protector. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and that's the other thing, like, holy cow. Wait till you hear what Jack did to get to the bottom of the whole Apple charts, gaming the charts thing. But before we hear that, there are many ways that I would love to work with you. One, if you just have a couple questions, go out to schoolofpodcasting.com slash schedule and schedule one-on-one consulting. If you want to join the School of Podcasting, go over to schoolofpodcasting.com slash start. 
and use the coupon code LISTENER. That's L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R. If you need your podcast reviewed, you know, Jack was talking about feedback. I have two versions of that. One is the podcast rodeo show where I will listen to just the first few minutes and give you an honest first impression. And then if you want a deep dive of not just the beginning, but the middle, the end of your podcast, along with your website, and we have you fill out a form so that we understand what your podcast goals are. And when I say we, it's myself and 30-year radio veteran, Eric K. Johnson. You might know him as the podcast talent coach. That is over at podcastreviewshow.com. My background's in training. I love helping people avoid the common pitfalls of podcasting. Come and work with me. I'm ready to help. Well, you mentioned in one of your comments earlier about kind of the Apple charts and things like that. And you did a really deep dive. And again, you can find this on his blog. It's lime.link about people kind of scamming the the charts. Share a little bit about what you found with the Apple charts. No, it actually goes deeper. I have a whole episode on my podcast, Darknet Diaries, yeah. episode 27 called Chart Breakers. And yeah, what I was seeing was... Oh, it just didn't work. There was a little man inside me that was looking at some of the shows on Apple podcast charts that was like, that show just doesn't make sense that it's in the top 10 or top 20. It just wasn't fitting for me. There was something wrong about it. And I'd click it and I would see zero reviews and zero ratings. And I'm like, how in the world did a no-name person with, I mean, I'm looking, I'm looking at their Twitter account. They're, they don't have like a Twitter account. They don't have Instagram. They don't have Facebook. How did this no-name person create a podcast that's hitting the top 200 most popular podcasts on Apple Podcasts. It just didn't make sense to me. And so that's when I started investigating this. And I found uh, there's podcast promoters out there, quote unquote, that are asking people for five or 10 or $100 to promote their show in Apple Podcasts. And I actually did some investigative journalism into this and I called these people up. I said, let's talk on the phone. And I recorded it for the, for the podcast. Right. And so I, I basically got Bangladesh every time I talked to like 15 different, one of these people, these podcast promoters, and every one of them was in Dhaka, Bangladesh. And I asked them, how do you do it? What's the thing? And, and, you know, a lot of them were, were secretive about where they, how they got it. And then you know, after that, I'd like, who taught this to you? And who's the head person? Did you go to a school to learn this? Like, I was just basically finding everything I could about how these people are promoting things. And what it comes down to is they've got, they've got a list of like a hundred or a thousand different uh, Apple IDs and they log in with one, subscribe to a show. They download all the episodes of the show, which you can just click get in Apple in, in iTunes. Just get, 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 get all the way down for every episode. And then that's it. You don't even have to like get them all. And then you can log out and then log back in with a new ID. So these people are just basically logging in and out of Apple all day long with new IDs and hitting uh, subscribe to all these shows. And so, uh, you know, and I talked to to some other people at Libsyn about this, like, how do you get in the charts? Rob Walsh. Yeah, Rob was explaining that it all comes down to number of subscribers uh, per day or week. It's kind of weighted in that way. So it never came down to ratings or reviews. And I confirmed that by talking with these people who are, promoting podcasts and Apple podcasts is, yeah, we don't leave ratings and reviews. We just subscribe and that's it. So it confirmed that just number of new subscribers a day would be enough to raise you up into the Apple podcast charts to get onto the all category in the top 200. And so, yeah, I, I found that out by calling them up and, and seeing screenshots of what they've done and pictures of their offices. And I, I went pretty far into that. 
Yeah, that was amazing. I was like, and again, that's information you can't get anyplace else. Mm -hmm. So another great ingredient of a great podcast. And obviously you're growing your show. And I've heard you say that one of the things you do is you read a lot of marketing books, which makes sense because you're trying to grow your audience. You might as well study people that are growing things. Do you have a favorite marketing book? I'm surprised you don't have it behind you, but I like the book Make Noise by Eric Nuzum. Yeah. So this book came out last year and it was just been like a Bible to me. It's so gospel. It's, it's everything in there is great. And it has one big chapter in there on marketing. And it, I mean, he starts it out by like, you don't, I've never seen like money spent on marketing that actually came back. So, so I like, I love that already. Right. So that's one thing, but there's a, there's some other ones. So I really like Seth Godin. So I, I like to take a lot of uh, different marketing techniques and kind of apply them to make my own. So Seth Godin is kind of the one who, who wants you to um, create a purple cow, something that stands out that's different than the rest and then create something that people appreciate and they will miss you for if you stop doing it. And uh, that's his marketing strategy, right? So there's a lot of really good stuff in Seth Godin. Then I also like Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, he's the kind of guy that's your your fitness coach. That's just like, don't quit now. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> so he'll he'll kick your butt to tell you you need to be posting on social media thirty times a day. And if then if you're already doing thirty, you need to do it to sixty. And you need to get on Instagram and Facebook and all these places. So he's the one who's just like, get going, creating content, and create more of it and more of it and more of it, and just keep going out there. So that's great. And of course it works because the more content that's out there, the more people are able to find you in different ways and stuff. That's it? No, I have more. So I really like uh, Gabriel Weinberg's book on, called Traction, which talks about how you actually gain traction whenever you're marketing anything. And this is the thing about people think marketing a podcast is like some mysterious new thing. It's no, There's tons of marketing books out there that work on anything that you're trying to market, including podcasts, right? That one doesn't talk about podcasts at all, but it's a great marketing book. And the same with Superfans by Pat Flynn. That's a great book where it talks about don't just try to create fans, but create super fans. And when you have super fans, I've talked to people who like my podcast that have said that they've told 40 other people to listen to my show or 100 other people. And this is what a super fan does is they can really explode your show for you in a way that's just amazing. So yeah, I'm a big fan of of super fans as well. It's a great book. Your original thing of of having people, you know, give you feedback on that first episode is the epitome of his other book, which is Will It Fly? He's he's all about making sure that proof of concept, like, hey, I have an idea for this thing. I should probably get some people to, you know, look at it and see if it's gonna fly or not before I go spending money on a prototype and all the other things you do to uh, launch a a product. And it's the same for a podcast. You've grown your audience now. It's it's ginormous. And so now I know you have a, a team. I know a lot of people, you know, they hear 300,000 downloads an episode and they're like, oh, that would be brilliant. Is there any downside to getting 300,000 downloads an episode? Is there <laughs> something that you're like, oh, I didn't see this coming? Uh, I mean, it's stressful. I've got sponsors, right, that are expecting that every two weeks I'm having a new show ready to go. <laughs> And I'm like, oh my gosh, what if I want to take a break? It's not about like just letting down my 200,000 listeners, but now I've got like, it feels like the sponsor I'm letting down more than than anyone. But um, yeah, I mean, there's this stress of 
okay, I've got to keep this show going. And that's not, <laughs> that's, that's not something I was ever expecting. I wanted to make something online that I could just kind of have a passive income doing. <laughs> and here I yeah. have like, there's the opposite of passive. I have to work my butt off every, every single episode takes about two weeks to make. And so that's why I'm just barely eking them out. Uh, every two weeks, a new episode comes out. So yeah, it's really hard to just stay on the tracks. I got to meet Ira Glass once and I asked him a similar question. I said, um, do you get nervous? Because Ira Glass has This American Life. He posts it to about 4 million, 5 million you know, listeners, but co- combine the radio and the podcast. There's about 2 million on each. And I said, do you get nervous posting to there? Because you're going to be talking about you know, some sensitive topics or some political things, whatever. And you know, maybe you got your facts wrong. And he said, I used to when I was at about like 200,000 listeners, but I got over that because I have such a a good team of fact checkers and stuff that they have a sensitivity uh, audience that listens to it before it goes out and this kind of thing. And so he really feels like he does his due diligence that somebody could come and say, you didn't look at this right or you didn't look at that right. And he could just say, actually, we did. And here's all the evidence, right, that we, we still have this conclusion on. And I think that's something that I had to learn how to deal with as well is. I was really nervous about posting because there's always somebody who's going to be like, you didn't look further enough into this or you're misrepresenting this thing or you have your facts all wrong. And that's, I wanted to be very, you know, accurate. And so I'm always really worried that I didn't have enough accuracy. And so that's why I have extra researchers and, um, you know, people to preview it before it goes live to say, is, am I, am I putting my foot in my mouth any, at any point or something that people are going to say, this is rubbish because of this one thing. Cause that's, that's how people do it. Right. They're like, well, you said this one thing I know is wrong. So the whole thing must be wrong. And it just snowballs. So yeah, that's one thing I was really nervous about once, once getting bigger. And I know you're, you're a very private person. Can you explain what inspired, like right now your video is not on and I'm not complaining by any means, but I did hear you say something about somebody actually tracked down where you work. Yeah, this is a weird story. I haven't really shared this with my audience. It's funny you find this. Ooh, now that's a good question. So yeah, before I was doing all this podcasting stuff, I was putting some YouTube videos out and somebody just really liked my attitude and my my videos and stuff. And he wanted to reach out, but he just wasn't having luck getting through through YouTube. So he's like, okay, what buildings are in the background and what area of the world does this guy look like he's in? And he triangulated it. Like he found like some landmarks and stuff and figured out where I was and then figured out which house was, you know, I was at when I was filming this and then looked up the county records to see who owns that house. And he found my name and then he took it a step further and decided, okay, where's this guy work? And he found where I worked and then he emailed me at work and I was like, who are you? (laughs) And so, yeah, ever since then, I kind of felt like really worried about putting too much out on the internet and I scale it back and just try to be private because I want there to be, you know, kind of a boundary between my personal life and my online life. And so I don't friend or, you know, have like friends and family on my social media and stuff like that because people can get in through that as well. Like they can, you know, see somebody's family, follow that and then get information about me through there because they see oh yeah, this person's posting pictures of me uh, through friends and family or, you know, so I just don't even like have that connection on social media at all. So yeah, I just very private because I get scared sometimes. And your audience is a bunch of hackers. So So if somebody wants to put the feather in their hat that they found me and they, they yeah, that's true at this point. Let's pretend there's no COVID for a second. Mm -hmm. When you go to events, 
Because on one hand, you it sounds like you're the kind of guy that wants to go hang out with your audience. But do you then let them know that, oh, I'm the guy from Dark Knight Diaries? Yeah. It's really it's really tricky because I do like meeting the fans. It's fantastic to hear, you know, all the different right. things. But at the same time, I have a tough time showing my face. So, like, I won't get on stage and talk because then I could don't I, I have a lot less control over people taking photos. But I will I will meet people in small circles and stuff. And if they ask for a selfie, I'll say no. So it just doesn't work. And yeah, if there's any photos, I'll, I'll ask to delete it and try to <laughs> try to watch them delete it. Like, come on, you got to delete this, please. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit stressful, but I think people in the, in the hacker circle understand the privacy of the world and I don't have, they get it right away. They, they know, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. No problem. So it's really nice that those, these people understand it. Well, Jack, I thank you for your time. What advice would you give to someone who's looking to start a podcast? Mm. I, so I think this is a skill that you can't just pick up a guitar and start like playing music and looking for sponsors and selling albums. So if you are going to start a podcast, get on the tracks and get that train moving and just keep it going. Don't think, okay, I'm three episodes in, I'm seven episodes in, and it's not getting to the destination I want. Seeds get planted in the spring and harvested in the fall. Don't quit in the summer and think nothing's coming because it just takes time. It takes time for you to find your voice. It takes time for you to get good. It takes time for the audience to find you and it's worth it. Oh my gosh, my entire life has been changed because of this podcast. I can throw my resume out the window because anytime I need a job, I can just reach, I could just say it on the show. Look, I'm looking for a job and I'm sure somebody's going to reach out and say, well, (laughs) we're ready to hire you right now because there's an intimacy in podcasts. They get to know you in a way that, they feel like your friends, they're friends with you and stuff. So it, it you know, I quit my job and I, I get this full, I work here full time as a podcaster now, and it's just fantastic. And now I get to just choose whatever I want to do next in life. And I love it. And so it has the ability to change your entire life, but you have to stick with it and dedicate yourself to being good at it. And actually it's better than good. You have to be great. People turn good shows off to listen to great shows. So make a great show. And if you can't, then work on getting to it. Awesome, my friend. Well, again, I thank you so much for your time. And uh, best of luck, everybody go over to darkneckdiaries.com, become a patron. And uh, I'm here to tell you, you will, it's, uh, his podcast is like Lay's Potato Chips. You can't listen to just one episode. You will be like, wait, hold on. I got to, <laughs> and again, definitely go to that episode 27 where you can hear him talking to all the guys about uh, the, the quote iTunes promoters. So thank you so much again for your time. All right. Thanks for having me. This was great. Again, his website is darknetdiaries.com. But if you're not into hacking stories and true crime, definitely check out his blog. It's lime.link.com. And you heard some of the deep dives he's done into different topics. He loves to help podcasters. Check that out again, lime.link. For me, his biggest asset is his attitude, the way he looks at feedback and he looks at his audience and says, help me make this better for you. I love the fact that he goes after stories that he knows the full story so he can then design the story arc. And he said his best marketing tool is his existing audience. So many of us are looking for some automated way to flip a switch and have it just tell the world and they'll come. It just, no. And you have to ask. It's not a if I build it, they will come kind of thing. Here's what it sounds like when Jack promotes his Patreon. 
If you like the show, if it brings value to you, consider donating to it through Patreon. When you buy a book or watch a movie, you pay for it before you know if it's worth money. But I give you this show without any upfront cost or barrier, so you can decide if it brings value to you and is worth supporting. Please show your appreciation for the show by visiting patreon.com slash darknetdiaries and become a member. Thank you. And everything I mentioned today, you can find out at schoolofpodcasting.com slash 758. Keep in mind with Patreon or any kind of crowdfunding that the typical audience response is not 50%, not 25%, not 10%, even shows like No Agenda. If you go to noagendashow.com, this is Adam Curry, the man that invented podcasting, and John C. Dvorak, one of my favorite shows, and they have people giving them thousands of dollars every single episode. They have people creating artwork. They have people contributing to the show. And Adam, in a recent episode of Podcasting 2.0, said this about his audience. And the conversion for No Agenda is is like 3%. So of all the people we have, we've converted 3% to send us money directly. So I'm not the guy that just wants to like smash all your dreams. I just want you to go into this. If your idea of podcasting is I'm going to make money and I need to make it quickly, it's kind of hard until you have a huge audience. Uh, he's back again. We are right up against it. The yeah. launch of the uh, the new show, James Jacobson from the Dog Podcast Network. James, how are you? I am awesome. We are we are up against the imminent launch on the 19th of January. What are we up to this week that uh, now that we're this close, besides not sleeping, probably? Well, you're not sleeping. And it's actually all part of not sleeping because mm. our first episode of Dog Edition was going to have a theme. Most of them are going to be like very variety show-ish and have different segments. But our first show to get off the bat, we'd been planning for months, is Dogs Return to the White House. But after January 6th, we really had to sort of reassess the tone and the and the pacing of the show and how do you like not look at what's happening in the world and like pretend that's not happening right. when you're trying to so it's been this really interesting back and forth between me and my producer because we're like trying to do this and make this both appealing and fun and interesting and at the same time not like be ignorant of what's happening in the in the world I listened yeah. to our first rough as our, as our song guy said, first edit, <laughs> and uh, and I was like, rough. yeah, that's right. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it, and it just wasn't exactly what I wanted after working on this for so long. So we're sort mm -hmm. of like going in and and cutting it apart and pulling it, and then being torturous. Now, obviously, at the end of the day, the listener is going to be the person who decides. But I want this to be so good, and we've put so much energy in it. So there's. So it, it, it helps us sort of, it's, so it's forcing me to basically have some of those sleepless nights. Like, what if we did this? What if we did that? How do we change yeah. that? What, what did you change? I guess that, uh, you know, can you say specifically? Yeah. What yeah. So we have in the first show and so a show, an episode running about 25 minutes with, without ads. And we have four different amazing people. So we have to tie all these great voices and stories together. And then it's like, do we put little, bites into the intro or we'd build more rapport between myself and my co-host in the beginning and how do we get people to 
get the sense of what this is about, but not be so self-absorbed so that eventually people will go to listen to the first segment and then the second segment. So we're it's, it's these editorial decisions. Like, do we do we feature their voices of the people you'll hear on the show in that intro or not? I'm obsessively focused on making as good a show as possible from the beginning and then making it better week after week. As hard as you're working on episode one, are you also then working on two and <laughs> three, three and four? Yeah. yeah. Luckily, I have a lot of these interviews in the can. And then the, the, the challenging part is, you know, sifting them through and having Pam pull the cuts so that we can tell a, a story. And then these segments are being built that way. But one of the things actually, Dave, that I think I'm interested in your thoughts on this. And I don't know a lot of other people who do this, but some of these interviews are really good and we're only going to throw a snippet in. So we've decided to have this whole second show, a sister show to Dog Edition called The Long Leash, where people can hear the extended conversation. So it feels like we're definitely getting as much as we can out of the content that we have. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. Uh, and, and it's one of those, again, throw it out there and let the listeners vote. I've done some of this. I have the segment of my show because of my podcast, mm-hmm. but I had enough of those that I actually turned them into their own show. Now, the reason for that is if somebody said, I'm thinking of starting a podcast, I'm kind of on the fence. I really want to do this, but I'm not sure. And I go here, go listen to this podcast. And it's just episodes. And they're all like four minutes, if that. And it's just because of my podcast, this happened. So it, it kind of lets somebody who's saying, Hmm. I wonder if I should do this. Here's here's what could happen if you start. So it's multi-purposing the the content. So if you have somebody who wants a quick snippet, then they've got this show. And if they want something more in depth, then they can go this. And you throw them both out there, and then you go, hmm. I thought this one was going to be the the hot topic or whatever, but it appears this one's taking off. And you you know you just never know until you throw it out there. And it may be that. You know, maybe they both take off. Who knows? That's what you always want. But uh, there's only one way to find out if strawberry jam on an English muffin is any good. And that's to put it out there and taste it and go, hmm. So only with lots of butter. Exactly. Okay. Well, we will do that and we'll cross promote. So if you've discovered one show, if you want to hear the longer conversation, go there. And if you want to hear a bunch of things that are really quick, because Dog Edition really is designed as the first show ever to be listened to while you walk your dog. That's sort of part of our positioning. So grab your poop bags, grab your leash, and go for a walk. (laughs) There you go. Awesome. Well, James, we wish you the best of luck. Super Tuesday next Tuesday. (laughs) Yes, it is Super Tuesday. We have our fingers (laughs) crossed that uh, dogs return to the White House. And and the pitch that was like, did you know, Dave, that a dog may very well have prevented nuclear annihilation between the Soviet Union and the United States? I did not know that. Well, you'll discover that on Dog Edition. That's a good tease, my friend. (laughs) Thanks, Dave. I'll be back. I know we went a little longer than usual today, but if you know somebody that has a podcast and would enjoy this episode, if you wouldn't mind, it only takes a second, pull out your phone and whatever app you're using. I'm sure there's the ability there to share that with either somebody you know that would enjoy this or share it on social 
And you can even tell them, hey, just go to schoolofpodcasting.com slash subscribe. And no matter what app they're on, they can subscribe right there. And the next time an episode is available, it will automatically go to their device. And the next episode, we're going to be talking about Clubhouse. If you haven't heard about Clubhouse, it's this very popular, a lot of buzz around this app. And it's only available on iPhones, which is kind of interesting. And we're going to talk about how they did their marketing, why it worked, we're going to talk about the fear of missing out. We're also going to talk about how this is in no way the end of podcasting. Again, schoolofpodcasting.com slash subscribe. Thanks so much for listening. Until next week, take care. God bless. Class is dismissed. Class is dismissed.